When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This episode was pre-recorded as part of a live continuing education webinar. On-demand CEUs are still available for this presentation through all CEUs. Register at allceus.com slash counselor toolbox. Hi, everyone. My name is Dr. Donnelly Snipes, and today we're going to be talking about teaching psychological flexibility. We're not going to be talking a lot about interventions as much as we're going to be talking about the model of how to help people develop psychological flexibility, and you can input your own interventions as you see fit. We're going to define psychological flexibility, explore how to apply it, and then finish up by identifying the shortcut question. So what is psychological flexibility? Well, basically, it's the willingness to accept things as they are in the moment, not struggling against it. It is what it is. And that my kids hear me say it. My clients hear me say it. That's kind of one of my mantras. It is what it is. And I'm going to accept how I feel in the moment. And then I'm going to make a conscious choice to act and purposefully choose behaviors, thoughts, and feelings that move me towards a rich and meaningful life as I define it. And that's what we want clients to do. We want them to understand, you know, what is it that we want? And I'll share with you a little anecdote. One time, my daughter was 12, 11 or 12, and I got upset about something. And she looked at me and just very matter-of-factly said, now, Mommy, is staying upset over this really a good use of your energy, or is it keeping you from achieving your goals? Ah, out of the words of babes, but uh, out of the mouths of babes. But that's really what we're doing. We want people to ask themselves that question. Is expending energy over this, whatever I'm doing right now, is that using my energy to help me get closer to my goals, or am I just kind of throwing energy out the window? The first thing we want to have clients do is define what a rich and meaningful look, life looks like for them. It's going to be different for every person. Some people may have put a high emphasis on material possessions. Other people may put a high emphasis on interpersonal relationships, and others may put a high emphasis on work and success and accomplishments, others health. And some people will have a little smattering of everything. So we want to have each person look at what is it for them. I have people do a collage when we start defining what a rich and meaningful look life looks like for them. And I call it 
destination happiness, you know, kind of creating a collage or an advertisement for this rich and meaningful life that they're working toward. You can call it the Emerald City if you're a big fan of the Wizard of Oz, whatever you want to call it. The first thing we look at is their relationships. Who do you want in your life? Who is important to you? I mean, we have hundreds of people in our life, but who are the ones that are really crucial in your life that you say, you know, if they were missing, I would feel like something was missing from my life. And what do you want those relationships to be like? That's important. That's an important follow-on question because too often we say, who do you want in your life? Okay, let's put those people down. Great. Move on. I could want my husband in my life, my kids in my life, my mother-in-law in my life. But in what way? What do I want those relationships to look like? Because just having them in my life, you know, we have to work at nurturing relationships, which takes us to that question. I have them cr- get pictures of each person they want in their life or draw a picture if they don't have regular pictures. That goes on the collage. Then on a post-it note underneath the picture, they identify five to ten ways to realistically create that relationship. If they can't cram all that on a post-it note, you can put a little envelope under the picture and then fold a piece of paper and put it under there, whatever. But I want them to write five to ten ways to realistically create that relationship with each person they identify as being important in their life. And then beneath that, so you're going to have three layers. You're going to have the picture. The, what do I need to do to nurture this relationship? What do I want this relationship to look like? And then beneath that, on another post-it note or piece of paper, have them identify anything about that person or that relationship that causes them distress or unnecessarily drains their energy. So, for example, um, there is, if you have someone in your family, I don't want to call somebody out in in my family um, necessarily. If you have somebody in your family, and we all do, that is really critical, and you really you love them, you want them to be in your life. They're important. They're important, integral to the whole family unit. But whenever they come over, they just they have to have something critical to say, and it causes you distress. Okay. So you want that person in your in your life. You want to do things to nurture that relationship. That's great. But then there's this other thing that kind of nags at you. So I want the person to identify what that thing is and what they can do about it. <clears throat> One of the things my husband came up with, you know, God bless him, was whenever this person comes over, just know that they are going to have something critical or nasty to say and let them get it out of their system. That's just the way they are. Once they get it out of their system, they're fine. So you just need to know that there's going to be one thing coming. Brace yourself for it. Let it roll off your back like water off a duck or something. And it was amazing that just changing my perspective instead of, you know, holding on to that, I was like, okay, that's just how this person is. And it made it easier for me to deal with, you know, visits. The next thing you're going to ask them about is what other stuff is important in a rich and meaningful life, work, health, and personal growth. And you're going to do one for each segment. Under the pictures of these things that fall in these categories of work, health, and personal growth that are important, identify, you know, you have a picture, you know, maybe getting your doctorate is important to you. And so you have a picture of of a diploma or a picture of whatever it is that for a work success. What about work 
is fulfilling to you. For some, it may be what they can accomplish. For others, it's money. For others, it's camaraderie. For some, it's helping other people. For some, it's just mental stimulation and creativity. Or it could be any or all of the above. But what is it that you get out of work? What is it that makes work integral to your rich and meaningful life? You know, there are going to be some drawbacks to work too. There usually are. But what are the good things? So you know what you're going to focus on and what can you do to ensure that work is helping you meet your goals for happiness. Work is making you happy by focusing on, all right, you know, maybe I don't like doing progress notes. I don't. But I do like helping people. So I can focus on that. I can focus on the fact that I'm able to help people. And that helps me use my energy, you know, embrace the dialectics, to use some DBT terms, in order to go to work and do my daily duties and use my energy positively instead of getting stuck on, I hate doing these notes and grumbling and being resentful. That's not going to do any good. And then, you know, that third layer Underneath the great characteristics of work and what you're going to do to make work meaningful for you, identify aspects of work, health, and personal growth that may cause you distress or unnecessarily drain your energy, and how you can better use your energy to address it, such as letting it go, accepting it, having compassion, checking your interpretation or your cognitive distortions, addressing the issue, transfer. You know, there's a whole bunch of things that you could do. I worked at a place one time where I had a coworker who was, you know, bless her heart, she was just great with the clients, but she did not play nice in the sandbox with her coworker. She had a lot of difficulty um, getting along with other people in the department. That was a downside because everybody kind of walked on eggshells around this particular person. That didn't I didn't want that to take away from my joy and my happiness at what I was doing. So that was one of those things about work that could drain my energy if I got hung up on, she hates me, why does she have to act this way, yada, yada, you know, taking it personally, all that other stuff. So I had to figure out, how do I deal with this? She's going to be cranky, you know, right now. I don't know why, but I can't change her. She has to be willing to change. That's beyond my scope. So how can I deal with it? So I can use my energy to work towards my goals. Uh, helicopter bosses, critical bosses, those who are looming, emailing you every 15 seconds, those can also be exhausting and exasperating sometimes. If the good, which is work, um, and the stuff that you're doing and the reasons you're there outweigh the bad, you know, you can look at different ways to handle it. Maybe you can address it with your boss or transfer to a different department or consider brainstorming the different options uh, options that are available. But I want people to recognize that generally with any good, there's going to be some bad. And we want to emphasize and nurture the good and figure out how to mitigate the bad. So you're going to have this big collage. And I suggest using a roll of brown paper because you're going to need something bigger than a poster board most of the time for, these, for this collage in order to help people visualize what this rich and meaningful look like rich and meaningful life looks like to them. And the final aspect you want them to clarify are their values. And values are who they are. And it can be um, achievement. They value achievement, adventurousness, consistency, courtesy, family-orientedness. You can go online and search for 
list of top 50 values or top 100 values, whatever. You can't possibly embrace and embody 100 values. You need to help people whittle it down to the ones that are most important. The ones that they can ask themselves on a daily basis, if I do this, does that mean that I am embracing and embodying the values of, you know, for me, honesty, loyalty, responsibility, and family-orientedness? Well, that's a pretty clear yes or no answer. Encouraging them to whittle it down to four. And then I have them um, put at the top, the right, the left, and the bottom those four values and kind of highlight them and we've done it as art projects before where they can do big letters and glitter or whatever makes them happy but the values surround and embrace all of the things that are important to them step two is visualizing the options you know now or each person knows what their rich and meaningful life looks like score we have this vision they can see it and they can go this is achievable I've started even just making those little sheets that go under each picture. They've started identifying things they can do to use their energy positively. Well, let's think about it. If they're using their energy positively to nurture a relationship, then they have less time and energy to perseverate on what so-and-so's doing or saying on Facebook because they're using their energy to nurture this relationship and even if it is on Facebook, but they're using it for positive. Visualizing the options. I use the analogy that we are like cell phone batteries. And our cell phone battery, we only have so much energy, and you have to decide how you're going to use it to achieve your goals for the day. For me, uh, my battery needs to last from about 4 a.m. until about 6 p.m. so I can monitor my heart rate at the gym, listen to music at the gym while I'm monitoring my heart rate, Make calls if needed, get directions if needed, and receive text messages and sometimes send them to my kids. I'm pretty basic when it comes to my um, needs for my cell phone. But there are certain things, and I know that I've got to make that battery last the entire day. What do I need to consider then? So at 4 a.m., I have 100% charge. Great. I wake up, unplug my phone, woohoo, down to 99%. Crap. What am I going to do in order to best use my battery, my energy for my phone, in order to make it last all day long so it does what I need it to do? I can turn the brightness down. I don't need it that bright. That's wasting energy. When I'm, watch when I'm listening to music, I don't have to have the screen on to watch the little words on Amazon Prime. I don't have to watch videos, even though I like watching stupid cat videos. I don't have to watch them if my battery is draining a lot that day. And we can also do things, uh, consider which apps you're going to use and which ones you're going to allow permissions to drain the battery more. Um, and some things that you might normally do on your mobile device. I know I do a ton on my mobile device, answering email and doing research. But those are things that I could do on a desktop. So I'm making conscious choices about how to spend my, my battery to make it help me achieve my goals. All right. So what do we do? What, where do we go from here? How do we figure out how to use our energy to help us achieve our goals, to help that battery last all day long? And it's really, I'm going to break it down really basically. On one side, my 
for, the, for me, it's the right side of my screen. Energy is used to work towards those things that are important to me. All those things on those, that collage. If you have a great big old whiteboard, you know, you can put the collage up on one side. Or you can have people take a picture of their great big old collage. That way they have a little miniaturized version that they can use and just plunk it on that side of the, of the graph. On the left side of my screen, energy is being used to numb, avoid, or eliminate distress. And it diverts me from using that energy to achieve my goals and values. That stuff, think about getting your uh, vehicle stuck in the mud. And just sitting there and spinning your tires and spinning your tires and you're just digging deeper and throwing mud everywhere, but you're not getting any traction to get out. You're just wasting energy. That's this side. In the middle is mindfulness, noticing and choosing. The whole it is what it is. Noticing what's going on, how you feel, what you need. Okay, it is. I'm angry. All right. I'm uncomfortable. Okay. It is what it is. Now, what can I do? How can I best use my energy now to deal with this situation or let it go in order to achieve my goals and values? If whatever I'm upset about right now is inconsequential to my life, you know, in the big scheme of things, it's, it's nothing. You know, somebody was driving like a jerk or, or whatever. <clears throat> is it even worth my energy to spend any energy on it or... Is it better for me to choose to just let it go? But how do we do this? I know there's a lot on this slide. We do this by identifying what we're doing. On the left side of the screen are the things we do that use our energy that either helps us escape it. It may help us stop feeling that distress right then and there, but it does nothing to address the underlying issue. So then when we wake up or sober up, it's still there. And a lot of these are emotion-focused coping strategies or unpurposeful activities. I know, good word there. Um, activities that we do that are not using our energy to help us move towards our goals. Now, sometimes there's a time and a place for unpurposeful activities, just kind of generally lounging or the occasional Netflix binge. But most of the time, we want to choose to do activities that are going to get us closer to our goals and values. So if I'm going to binge on Netflix, well, spending quality time with my daughter is important. So we may watch a movie together and work on crocheting a scarf together or something. I don't know. I try to combine the things in order to um, always help me use my energy for, for the positive. And then the bottom half over here are your cognitive distortions and faulty schema. When people get upset when they experience distress a lot of times they are thinking in distress intolerant ways they can't tolerate the stress they have to make it go away right now or they're using cognitive distortions that make it feel worse they're using that all or none thinking or that personalization or they're making decisions and evaluating things based on faulty schema based on prior learning that is no longer applicable we want to help them Become more aware and mindful of the present. What's going on right now? What are the facts surrounding what's going on right now? On the right side, this is the good stuff. This is the stuff we want to enhance and add. Prevention activities. And this can be making sure they're getting enough sleep, quality sleep. Sleep is so integral to mood. 
Problem-focused coping, helping them figure out coping strategies and skills and ways to effectively problem-solve. And this can include getting social support. And activities to build happiness. Sometimes it's not reacting to distress, but it's actually choosing in the moment, hey, I feel good. How about I, I do something so I feel better? Adding happiness. If you just get rid of distress all the time, well, that's good, but you're not adding happiness. You, you get rid of it, and then you're just going to be sitting there going, okay, what now? Add in the happiness. And you want to co challenge cognitive distortions and faulty schemas with empowering and positive thoughts. We're going to talk more in detail about these in a minute. And positive feelings. Again, add those positive feelings in. Encourage people to add those pos positive feelings in. Not just eliminate distress, but do things actively that make you happy. Change things in your environment actively that make you happy. Think about how many times yesterday you wasted energy getting upset about something you had no control over or making choices that diverted your energy from your goals. I know I can think of a couple of times I did yesterday. And I try to be more mindful, but I do notice, and I am more mindful of noticing when I do it, I still do it. And encouraging people, you're not going to be perfect, but becoming aware of the times that you are mindlessly choosing behaviors or you're doing things that are wasting your energy is important. All feelings are normal. And this is something that I really want to drive home to all of my clients. Anger is normal. Anxiety is normal. That's fight and flee. That's your body going, hey, there's a threat. We want to survive. Cool. I'm glad my brain's telling me to survive. That's always a good thing. It's what we do with those feelings that we can be harmful. And another analogy I use, and forgive me if you've got a weak stomach, think of unpleasant emotions like the smell of dog poop. When you smell it, you get up to check to see if the dog has gone poop in the house. Or at least I do. And if you find out that he hasn't, you chalk it up to gas and go about your day. If you find dog poop, you don't just get angry and leave it there, I hope. You do something about it or it's going to make the whole house stink. Negative emotions are like the dog poop of the soul. <laughs> Isn't that poetic? Sorry. <laughs> if you don't address these negative emotions, they're going to permeate your whole being and they may start to repel others like the smell of dog poop coming from your house. We want to remember this. Sometimes we're going to have an emotion. We're going to feel scared. You know, that's that negative emotion. That's the dog poop smell. Get up and check it out. What am I scared about? Is there something for me to be upset about? Is there a threat? If not, okay, I'm going to figure out how to deal with it I'm, or I'm going to let it go, chalk it up to a false alarm. If there is something for me to be upset about, just like we clean up the dog poop, I'm going to choose to do something to clean up the negative emotions, the unpleasant emotions, in order to feel better. That way it, I don't sit with it all day long. Questions that we can ask clients or they can ask themselves. What thoughts do you regularly have that keep you from being happy? Encourage them to make a list or keep a journal so they can start addressing them and have them include their inner critic's commentary, that little inner voice that says you're not good enough, you're not smart enough, you're such an idiot. When you get angry, what thoughts do you have that keep you stuck in that quicksand of anger? 
you know, sometimes when I get angry, I feel like I can't not be angry until somebody else fixes what they're doing. Well, that ain't going to happen. You know, that's, that's a fantasy world. I accept that I can control my reactions. I can't control other people. I can control my reactions to other people, but I can't control other people. And remind them that re resentment, jealousy, envy, and guilt are all forms of anger. Resentment, you know, you're angry at somebody for something they did or didn't do. Jealousy, you're angry and envy. You're angry at somebody for something they have that you want, possibly. And guilt, you're angry at yourself for something you did or didn't do. All forms of anger. What thoughts do you have that keep you stuck in those feelings? Why do you feel the need to hold on to those feelings like a life preserver when they're actually a 50-pound boulder? When you're sad or grieving, what thoughts do you have that keep you stuck? When you're anxious or afraid, what thoughts do you have that keep you stuck? You see a trend here? When you are lonely, what thoughts do you have that keep you stuck? And when you are sad, what thoughts do you have that keep you stuck? What impact does having these dysphoric emotions, I try to avoid using the word negative because emotions serve a purpose. It's what we do with them that can be problematic. So all emotions are okay, but unpleasant emotions, if we hold on to these unpleasant emotions, what impact does that have on our ability to achieve a rich and meaningful life? What impact does that have on our battery level? I know if I'm holding on to resentment, it's draining my battery in the background. It's like when Google is constantly trying to check to see where I'm at and bouncing off cell towers, drains my battery like nobody's business. So away behaviors and reactions. These are things that use your energy, move you further away from your goals. You only have so much energy. It's going to move you forward or you're going to spin in circles or go backwards. Some of that emotion-focused coping I alluded to. It does nothing to change the situation. Remember, this is the left side. This is stuff that we probably want to mitigate. It's designed to eliminate the unpleasant feeling. So some examples, when people get upset, they could use aggression. If I get loud enough or I get angry enough or I get violent enough, then maybe this threat will go away and I can feel happy. Alcohol, drugs, gaming, sex, shopping, sleep, smoking, the list goes on. People do a lot of different things in order to try to feel better. But how do these things impact us and do they help us achieve our goal? If I get angry at my child, for example, for something, and I decide that I'm going to get loud and boisterous and angry, does that accomplish my goal in the short term? Do they step right in and do their chores or whatever it is they were supposed to do? Maybe. But in my rich and meaningful life, I've got a good relationship with my children based on love, trust, respect, all that happy stuff. Ergo, does me getting aggressive positively influence that relationship? No. It actually probably harms it sometimes. I want to think about that. So when that event happens and I get angry, I need to say, you know, I have a choice. I can con consciously choose, do I want to have this fixed immediately and risk repair it, um, risk injuring this relationship, but it'll be finished and fixed immediately? Or do I want to take a breath and think about a different approach in order to improve their motivation to do what 
they were supposed to do. Encourage people to make a list of the things that they usually use to address guilt, anger, resentment, sadness, etc. And then identify two or three things that they could do instead. So if they usually, if they've had a bad day, they go to the bar and have a few drinks. Okay. Every once in a while, probably not a big deal. If it's a habitual way of coping, what else could you do that might help you deal with whatever it was that is triggering that regular desire to drink? Have people identify all the things they do when they get upset and the reasons they do it. You know, so why is it when you get upset, you get aggressive? What's the benefit there? Why do you get, why do you get aggressive? And what could you do instead? When you get upset and you decide you're going to go have a few drinks, why do you do that? What benefit do you have from getting a few drinks? What's the reward there? And what could you do instead? And go through each one. Have clients identify all the things they do when they're acting purposeless, which prevents them from moving toward their happiness. We've all had those mornings. We've awakened. And the bed has felt so warm. And outside, it's just been nasty for whatever reason, raining, snowing, what have you. And you think, I don't want to go to work today. I want to play hooky. I just want to stay in bed under the covers and watch TV. Well, that's an option. And it would make me feel really good right now. But does it help me achieve my goals of success as a business owner? No. Does it help me set a good example for my kids to be a good employee, etc.? No. My purposeless choice would be to stay in bed and play hooky because that sounds really good in the moment. But in the long term, in the big scheme of things, playing hooky, probably not in my best interest. Poor time management is another thing that people may do when they're acting purposeless. They may just randomly do things. They don't make lists and then they can't remember. I don't know, you know, if you're like me, but I have a lot of lists. I need to make lists or I forget. Heck, I forget what I need when I go to the grocery store. So it's important for me to have a list of what I need to get at the grocery store so I don't have to go back and spend more energy and more gas going back to the grocery store because I forgot butter or something inane like that. Lack of sleep or poor nutrition. Those are other things that people can do that are purposeless. If we spend our energy making sure we get quality sleep or good nutrition, then we are bolstering our body. We're making sure that our body machine is functioning to its utmost capacity. Think about your car. If you take care of your car and you take it in and get its oil changed and do everything you're supposed to do, you're probably going to get much better gas mileage out of it. It's going to be more effective and more efficient at helping you reach your destination. With our bodies, the same thing is true. If we take good care of our bodies, you're probably going to have better concentration, better energy, and you're going to be more effective and efficient at reaching your destination. Cognitive distortions and unhelpful thoughts that we need to help people address. You can make a list of them, and I'm sure you've done this in in your practice multiple times, so I'm not going to go over a bunch of them, but all or nothing thinking and overgeneralization, you know, if help people become aware of their unhelpful thinking patterns so they can make a conscious choice. Do I want to hold on to this overgeneralization or do I want to let it go? Do I want to look for exceptions? Mental filtering. 
do I want to focus on the negative because that's what I've always done or do I want to take a more balanced perspective? Encourage them to become aware of their thinking patterns that may keep them stuck and drain their energy, such as um, other ones are exaggeration, making a mountain out of a molehill. You know, you heard a little bumpity squeak in the car, and all of a sudden you decide that, oh, no, the alternator is going to go out. It's going to cost me $2,000. I'm not going to be able to afford it. I can't go to work. If I can't go to work, I'm going to lose my job. If I lose my job, I'm going to be home. Wow. All that from a little squeak. <laughs> We've probably all been there ourselves, and we've definitely all had clients that have gone from this little molehill, this little squeak, to suddenly being homeless in their minds. Encourage them to look at the difference and figure out what you're thinking. Okay, could what you're thinking happen? Well, yeah, it's possible that that whole scenario could play out, but what's the probability? Is there a really high probability that all those things are going to play out? Probably not. Personalization, encouraging them to look for three other explanations for why something might happen besides them. The availability heuristic, making judgments based on what's happened most recently. You know, maybe your best friend has just been in a funk for the past month over something. And you think, oh, I don't know why I stay in this relationship. You know, it just never benefits me in any way. Well, that's the availability heuristic coming out because you're looking at the past month and you're forgetting about before that, you know, the prior five years when he or she was there for you. Jumping to conclusions without sufficient information, expecting people to read your mind or expecting that you know what people are thinking, blaming, shoulds, expecting the world to be fair, expecting that you can control and change things that are out of your control or that you can't change like other people and using emotional reasoning just because something is fearsome doesn't necessarily mean it's dangerous distress intolerant thoughts we want to help people identify this is stuff on that left side again when they say i can't stand this it's unbearable i hate this feeling i have to stop feeling this way or i'm going to lose control and just completely go crazy it's wrong to feel this way. It's stupid and unacceptable. I'm weak or I'm bad because I feel this way. This other person, they need to be punished so I can feel better. When they apologize, then I can feel better. Or I must be in control of situations at all times. You know, those are all distress intolerant thoughts. And those are going to contribute to people feeling like I can't take it. So I need to numb it or escape from it instead of being able to sit with it and going, okay, it is what it is. You know, I'd like to stop feeling this way, but I don't have to. It's not going to kill me. It is what it is. Dirty discomfort. He talks about um, in acceptance and commitment therapy it are the feelings that are associated with a primary feeling. So maybe you get angry about something. And then after you get angry, you feel guilty that you got angry and you're afraid that people are going to be mad at you or you look at what you did when you were angry and you're like, oh, oh my gosh, you know, they're never going to want to spend time with me again. So that guilt and fear of rejection about getting angry is the dirty discomfort. And it's kind of like a martial artist and when they're fighting one-on-one -on -one or sparring one-on-one, -on -one, it's one thing. 
but when they're trying to be um when they're trying to spar with multiple opponents at the same time it can be exhausting and it's much much harder to win it's important to help people recognize how they react to their own reactions and ideally learn to stop it recognize okay i'm angry everybody gets angry it is what it is now i can get upset about being angry or i can decide what i'm going to do so i can start feeling better and improve the next moment toward activities this is more my favorite area encourage people to get good sleep good quality sleep good sleep hygiene you can google i've got videos on our youtube channel allceus.com slash youtube on sleep hygiene or you can just search on the internet to find tips for sleep hygiene including developing sleep routines reducing caffeine and nicotine and alcohol um, ergonomics temperature all kinds of stuff good sleep helps your body clear out adenosine from your brain which helps you think more clearly it improves your energy it helps set your eating and sleeping hormones all kinds of stuff when sleep is out of whack mood is typically quick to follow nutrition what we eat gives our body the building blocks it needs to make the neurotransmitters and the hormones that help us stay happy and healthy and energized so if you're not giving your body the building blocks if you're giving it silly putty instead of bricks it ain't going to be able to build the structure that you want exercise is a good activity for prevention they've shown a lot of studies that have linked exercise with increases in serotonin and dopamine and reductions in um, distress and pain ergonomics that can be at work you know making sure that where you sit or stand for eight hours a day is comfortable and not increasing pain or causing you to have a headache ergonomics where you sleep will contribute to better sleep and contribute to you not waking up in the morning with a kink in your neck social support is almost always beneficial for people encouraging them to enhance those social support systems that are important to them so they feel a sense of connection and they have that buffer against stress recreation and relaxation are not the same thing relaxation is being able to sit down and go ah recreation is doing something fun adding in that fun to your life both of them are important to preventing distress and they're important to helping people become happy in most cases if any relationships are important to people then they're going to be more likely to be able to nurture those relationships if they're in a good mood and well rested and generally in a decent frame of mind also encourage people to add in positive triggers i talked about those before sounds sights smells i think we're going to actually go into that deeper in a minute in your toward activities you know we have all of the other stuff in the um collage for what a rich and meaningful life looks like in your toward activities to build happiness uh, set a goal to do at least one thing each day to move you closer to happiness in each area health people work personal growth and perspective or attitude if you want to put it there so they already identified things under each one of those pictures that they could do in order to create the rich and meaningful life they're hoping for 
Well, let's not just talk about it. Let's do it. Let's set a goal to do at least one thing each day to move them closer to that. And some of the things are going to overlap, like getting a good night's sleep can help with their health, their relationships, their productivity at work, and their energy to take the Tai Chi class or whatever it is that they want to do for personal growth. Problem-focused coping. We want to encourage people to learn different strategies for dealing with distress. They can change the situation. You know, they can fix it in some way. Sometimes it can't be fixed, so they have to change how they think about the situation through acceptance, just saying, all right, it is what it is. That person is the way they are. I can't change them. I'm going to take a breath, and I'm not going to let it negatively impact me. Easier said than done, I know. That's where your clinical tools come in, but we're just talking highlights here. Compassion. Sometimes changing the way you think about a situation means having compassion for another person instead of saying, oh my gosh, that person is so irritable and difficult to be around, blah, blah, blah. Thinking to yourself, oh my gosh, how dark it must be in that person's mind. How awful it must be to live in their skin some days if they're that unhappy. It puts a whole different spin on things and your ability to tolerate things. Same thing for yourself. Having compassion for yourself. Um, I have a heart issue that bugs me sometimes. And when it acts up, I get really frustrated that my body's not doing what I want it to do. And it's not letting me run like I used to run when I was 20 years old. So I could get angry over it. Um, and I usually do. And I could stay angry over it. But I usually don't. I have compassion for myself and I remind myself that, you know, I'm getting out there, I'm trying and, you know, I'm maintaining as well as I can given the, the deck I've been dealt. And encourage them to evaluate old beliefs. Sometimes looking at the situation, you know, maybe they're in a marriage and they think it should be one way and they expected marriage to be this particular way and it's just not panning out that way so they can either continue to be upset about it they can change the situation leave get a divorce whatever they can go to counseling and hope that fixes it or they could evaluate their old beliefs and figure out okay this is what I expected not what's panning out to be is this do I need whatever this expectation is do I need warden June Cleaver or can I you know, look at what I've got right now in this marriage and decide whether, decide to be happy with what I've got. They can choose to let it go. They can choose, you know, whatever this issue is, somebody cut me off in traffic, I didn't get the discount I wanted at the store, whatever it is, let it go. It's inconsequential to my happiness. Or somebody was ugly on Facebook, whatever the case may be. The other way they can address it potentially is getting social support or help, not dealing with it on their own, calling a friend and going, what would you do? Or just calling a friend and venting for a minute. Sometimes all you need to do is vent, and whether it's to your dog or to your best friend, sometimes that can help. You just need to be, you need to feel heard and validated, and then you can go, okay, got that off my chest. Let's move on. What's next? Encourage clients to identify ways and be open to using any of these ways to address distressful feelings when they occur. 
toward thoughts and feelings. We want people to start feeling empowered because when they feel empowered, like the little engine that could, then when a challenge comes their way, they can go, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can, or I've got this. I've been through worse. This too shall pass. Or even just waking up in the morning and going, all right, you know what? Today is going to be a great day. It's amazing how if you start off in the right frame of mind and have these empowering thoughts that it can change your outlook and in your interpretation of events so you're not running into as much that drains your energy. Encourage people to make a list of compassionate thoughts for themselves. For example, it's okay to feel depressed. Just don't unpack and stay there. It must be a really dark place in that person's head. Or, you know, if somebody's unpleasant to you, think to yourself, I wonder what might cause him or her to feel so unsafe that they feel like they have to react that way. When people are reacting out of anger or anxiety, generally it's because they perceived a threat in some sort of way. So you've got to, instead of saying, why did they do that? Ask yourself, what must have happened to them in the past that caused them to feel so unsafe? Encourage them, people to keep a daily gratitude list. Sometimes reviewing that gratitude list, you can have a bad day and look back over that list and go, okay, there was a bump in the road today, but I've got a lot going for me. And have them add triggers for positive emotions to their bedroom, to their car, to their office, and to any common areas where they can. If they live with roommates, they may not be able to. If, you know, wherever they can. Aromatherapy and smells that make them happy. It doesn't have to be essential oils. It can be, a, my daughter ground up some coffee yesterday when she was getting ready to make coffee. It smelled so good, I just stood by the coffee maker for about five minutes, just breathing, because it made me happy. <laughs> Sights, pictures. Put them on the wall. Have them on your mobile device. Books, things you can read. Colors. It's amazing how the colors of walls or the colors of your decor can actually influence your attitude. Things in the environment, whether it's trinkets or, you know, vases or flowers, whatever. And people and pets. Who do you want to have in your environment that makes you happy? What sounds make you happy? And it could be music. Obviously, music has um, a therapeutic effect. Comedians, birds, you know, you can get white noise machines that have different soundtracks on them. It can be babbling brooks or thunderstorms or what have you. If it makes you happy, listen to it. Wind chimes is another thing. My mother used to love to listen to wind chimes. Touch. Incorporate things in your environment that make you happy. Have it be a pleasant temperature. If you're sweating your butt off or you're freezing, you're probably not going to be in the best mood. And it's also going to be exhausting because your body is actually using energy to try to normalize your temperature. Pay attention to texture. You know, have textures on that you like the feel of, not something like an itchy wool sweater. And again, ergonomics. The less your body has to fight to keep you in line, um, the less energy you're going to spend. So if you're not struggling to stay sitting up or whatever, you're probably going to have less pain and waste less energy. And taste. And I don't encourage taste a lot. I don't want people to randomly or regularly go to food for comfort. But do savor the food that you eat. You know, enjoy what you're drinking or eating and focus on how it makes you happy. 
And step three is become mindful. So step one, define your rich and meaningful life. Step two, identify your away behaviors, what you do to numb the pain, and your away thoughts and feelings, those thoughts and feelings that you have that you nurture and get stuck on and perseverate on and figure out how to deal with those. And then identify the things that you can do to move you towards your goals, as well as the thoughts and feelings you can have and you can actually in, inject into your life in order to move towards your goals. So you're happier and empowered and feeling, you know, energetic and enthusiastic. All right. So now we've got the, the map set out. Encourage people to become mindful. Become aware of their thoughts and feelings and urges in the present moment without judgment. Just have them regularly ask themselves. And I usually tell people to start at mealtimes, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. How do I feel? What are my thoughts, wants, and urges? And what physical sensations am I experiencing? So they can just check in with themselves. When they are in distress and they do this, what they probably notice is their autopilot stuff. You know, how do I feel? I feel angry. What are my thoughts? Those cognitive distortions. What are my wants and urges? You know, I want to get a drink. I want to put my fist through the wall. <laughs> Whatever. Those are often the autopilot responses to try to make the pain go away right now because they don't want to tolerate the distress. Remembering that, okay, I don't have to react. I, I know that those are there. Those are my thoughts, wants, and urges. But what other options do I have? So they can notice without judgment and without having to react. Um, I've talked before about bumblebees. And if a bee lands on your arm, unless you're deathly allergic to it, it's kind of like having an urge you don't or a feeling. You don't have to react to it. You can just notice that it's there. And in good time, it'll fly away. If you swat at it, if you try to desperately make it go away, you're likely to get stung. And if we try to desperately make things go away or avoid it or numb it, likely the problem's going to get worse. So encouraging people that they can notice, they can sit with the feeling, just like that bumblebee, it probably ain't going to do anything to hurt them. And then it'll fly away in its own time. Encouraging them to unhook from their feelings, that belief that if we feel a feeling, we have to act on it. No, you don't. You know, encouraging them to step back and go, it's a feeling. It's like that bumblebee. Once they've observed, accepted, and unhooked, gotten some distance between their feelings and that need to act, then they're more able to sort through their thoughts and feelings and start to see options. So now we implement. Now, just as a summary, you have over here on the left, distress and diversion. These are the behaviors, thoughts, and feelings that take your energy and use it for stuff that moves you away from your goals or at least doesn't help you move any closer. On the right side is are the behaviors, thoughts, and feelings that move you toward your goals or at least don't let you go backwards. It's an adventure, and this is an activity you can do with your clients to help them visualize how much energy they may waste on irrelevant things. Have them imagine they're going to create this utopian world in which they feel happy, healthy, and loved most of the time, you know. Address those irrational thoughts there. They only get $200 per day to create this world. And you can use Monopoly money, you know, whatever. This money represents their energy. Each time something happens and they make a choice about how to handle it, they spend $10. It's up to them how they choose to spend 
their $200 each day. But remembering, you know, they probably want to use it to get towards their rich and meaningful life. Have them keep a log of their days for a week, writing down 20 things they do each day. So it's easiest to give them a worksheet where there's 20 slots for them to fill in. A lot of times people do things and they don't even realize they're spending energy on it. But when you make them write down 20 things, then they start going back going, yeah, I did, I did get angry over that. So in this example, I did one for myself. I got up. That was a choice. Ten bucks. Picked berries from the garden. That was a choice. Made me happy. It's a ten. Went to the gym. Made a choice. Good for me. Was happy. That was a ten. Got irritated on the way home at a motorcyclist who was driving erratically. Yep. That was another choice. That was another ten dollars. But it's red because that was something that I perseverated on for a few minutes. So it used energy in a way that was not helping me move towards my goals and values. I ate a good breakfast and talked with my kids, went to work, worked on a presentation. Then I skipped lunch to work on something else. Well, it's never good when I skip lunch because I have a hard time concentrating and things just don't go as smoothly and it would have been better to take care of myself. After lunch, I worked on another presentation. I answered emails. Emails were somewhat annoying, but... I was able to use my mindfulness and go, okay, this is annoying. It's okay. It is what it is. Moving on. I didn't perseverate on it, so I didn't ding myself for it, if you will. I paid bills. Again, was a little irritating, but had to be done. Drove home and listened to comedy. That was a good choice. Made dinner, spent time with the kids. That was a good choice. Ah, but then I hit a bump in the road. I got frustrated with my daughter, and then I got frustrated with both kids about chores not being done. The, what I was upset about is sort of irrelevant, but that was sort of a double whammy where both of those things added up cumulatively, and I expended a lot of energy really fast in no way positive. Um, I didn't need to hold on to that frustration. But then I got my win back, I did my chores, emailed my stepdad and two friends, mowed the lawn, did some weeding, watched television with my family while I crocheted a blanket, and went to bed at a reasonable hour. So all of those things. And it took, I had to go back and fill in some spaces because when I first did it, I didn't have 20 things. Ultimately, I made 16 steps forward and four backward. So it was a little bit better than a cha-cha. Encouraging clients to do this so they can just see where they're, how they're spending their energy and whether it's helping them move towards their goals. Prevention. I encourage everybody to do a prevention matrix that just targets general behaviors. On the left side, things that they generally do when they experience distress, ways that they generally think, and things that uh, negative mental filters, those sorts of things clinical issues that may keep them from using their energy to move towards their goals and values. Okay, just get those out there so we know what they are. And then on the right side, what things can you do to prevent distress, to make sure that you're maximizing your energy so you're ready when a stressor comes along? And what kinds of thoughts, attitudes, and feelings can you nurture within yourself in order to, again, bolster you so when something bad or unpleasant does happen, you've already got your, your fortress built up, so to speak. People who have chronic pain, for example, 
you know, they notice and choose. They wake up in the morning, they notice they're in pain, and they're like, ah. So they can choose to stay in bed, they can choose to drink, use pain pills excessively, lash out at other people for not understanding. They can nurture and hold on to this feeling of helplessness and hopelessness and resentment at people who are healthy, anger at themselves for being weak. You know, there's a whole bunch of stuff that can go into it. All right. Those are options. Those are choices. Let's look at what your other choices are on the toward side. They can have good sleep habits and eat healthfully because we know that neurotransmitters and healthy bodies are involved in pain perception. They can do their therapy exercises, focus their attention on things they can control, get support from friends, set small achievable goals, use distress tolerance activities, put happy triggers in the environment, practice adding in happiness, focus on gratitude, determination, and compassion. So those are things, those are choices that they have every day in order to deal with their chronic pain. And any choice they make is a valid choice. It's just what they want to use it for or, you know, what their goal is. So the shortcut question, are my current thoughts, feelings, and actions moving me closer to or further away from my goals and values? You know, basically, you can boil it all down to this. In order to help clients identify and keep track of their tools and know what they can do to help move them towards their goals, it's important for them to fill out that chart. But ultimately, when they're on the go, when they're in the car, whatever, they can boil it down to this one question. Every event is an opportunity to choose thoughts and behaviors that will help you use your energy to move towards your goals and values. Acceptance means accepting without judgment how you feel and the situation as it is instead of fighting against it. Commitment and purposeful action mean that you choose to use your energy on thoughts and behaviors that move you closer to your goals. If this podcast helps you help your clients or yourself, please support us by purchasing your CEUs at allceus.com or getting your agency to sponsor an episode. A direct link to the on-demand CEUs for this podcast is at allceus.com slash podcast CEUs. That's allceus.com slash podcast CEUs. To sponsor an episode of Counselor Toolbox and reach over 50,000 clinicians per week, go to allceus.com slash sponsor. Thank you.